0: I love cricket, like I absolutely love cricket, I love the details, I love the stats, I love uh, the commentary. Um, Adam and I watched early morning cricket together when the Ashes Ash was on, we had a little uh, team, I worked with Adam so we had a little team time away and we woke up early and watched uh, and we are streaming it and we actually rinsed their internet of the people who we were staying with and it, it broke it, we actually broke the internet. Um, but I love the different little minutiae that you get in cricket. And there's, there's a guy called Andrew Sampson who commentates on Test Match Special. And for those of you who don't, who don't really know cricket or Test Match Special uh, in particular, he can tell you anything about anything that ever happened in cricket. So people phone up and they'll be like, "What? What? Um, when, when was the last time this particular player had a 50? Uh, and he'll be able to tell you straight away. He'll be able to tell you how many uh, Made and overs there were in the last innings that England um, bowled in, and he'll be able to tell you the last time that this person got a five-wicket haul or whatever. He'll tell you straight away. He knows because he measures... His job is stats. He measures all sorts of stuff. Um, I can remember... This will date me slightly. You could be able to work out how old I am. I can remember in 1989, I was nine, and I was in the car driving with the family, down on holiday, going down to Devon, right? And my family didn't like cricket, so I had a little radio, a transistor radio with a little earpiece in, and I was listening to this commentary, Test Match Special. And uh, they can talk for hours about anything, pigeons, buses, or anything. Anyway, this fantastic description of the English language, let alone a sport. But as they were talking, a particular thing happened in the match, where one of the batsmen was out because he was running and he slightly had to avoid somebody and he tried to jump over the stumps and he accidentally uh, knocked off the bales. They're describing this moment and one of them starts giggling and then the other one gets it. And they're broadcasting live, there's millions of people like me listening with little earpieces and they just lose control. So it would be great if we have that lined up, we'll be able to watch that and, uh, and hear as well to and the
1: splits, uh, unfortunately uh, the inner part of his side must have just removed the bail he did. just didn't quite get his leg over anyhow he, he did very well indeed batting 131 minutes and hit three fours and um, then we had Lewis playing extremely well before his 47 not out Agus, do stop it uh, <laughs> and uh, he was joined by the who um, was in for 40 minutes a useful little partnership there um, Lawrence Uh, Always entertaining, barely for 35. 35 minutes, hit a four over the Wee Keepers. for goodness sake, stop it. Yes, Lawrence (laughs) played (laughs) (laughs) extremely well. out for now for game Batted for twelve minutes and then was caught by Haynes on Petson for two and there were fifty-four extras and Higgler all out for four hundred and nineteen. I've stopped laughing now
0: <laughs> amazing. I have no idea how he stops laughing at that point in time, but he manages to get something back together again uh, and continues his commentary. And. Um, in cricket, they measure all sorts of stuff, don't they? They, t- they? He's tried to tell you all of those stats, all the different things that the people did, the details of how they got out. Um, but it's, in, a, in a game of cricket, you don't always know exactly who's winning at any one time. It's hard to tell, isn't it? So you, could, you could think someone's doing better than the other team, but then again, somebody might still win. Stats don't tell you everything. They don't necessarily tell you whether you're winning or losing. Um, in football, you get stats as well, and they don't always give you a clear measurement either, so there's some stats there from the Palace and Wolves game, there's lots of possession and shots on target, and you might think, come on Palace, surely you should have won that game but they didn't, because Wolves got a winner, and then uh, there's Fulham and asked poor old Fulham, they got absolutely hammered, didn't they? They thought that the, the game was to have shots <laughs> um, and they won that game, but not shots on target, they were just hammering it all over the place so, uh Stats don't necessarily tell you everything. In in fact, in a football match, I always kind of think when the pundits afterwards, when they're speaking and they say, "Um, really this team should have won, or they deserve to have won, or sometimes managers say that, like we deserve to win. I kind of think, hang on a second, we did all, everyone agreed on the basic premise of how to win a football match first, didn't we? We did all agree the idea was to score more goals than the other team beforehand. There wasn't some teams going, let's just keep possession let's try and keep just possession. It doesn't matter if we score. Everybody knew that. And it's the same with any sport, isn't it? Well, we're going to use this scorecard and scoreboard idea as we look at how we build the kingdom of God. How do we do our discipleship? How do we measure it? Should we measure it? Can you measure it? Discuss. No. Um, So, we're gonna look at that because it's good for us to be thinking, how are we doing? Are we actually managing it? Do we know, as a church, as G2, we're asking these questions, as a leadership team in Bern, home and here, how, how are we getting on? Are we actually doing what we set out to do? And I guess for all of us, those of us who have decided to follow Jesus, and some of you may not yet have made that decision, but for those of us who have, um, How do we know how we're getting on? Are we measuring our progress? And if we are, what are we measuring? And is it a good indicator of how we are doing? Um, The reason why it's good, uh, oh, first of all, let me say, I think a good measure of a disciple, a good measure of the purpose of discipleship is two things. Firstly, to make disciples. And secondly, to spread the kingdom of heaven, to spread the kingdom of God. Those are two good measurables, aren't they? Well, they're not that easy to measure, but we'll get into that. But those are two good indicators of a mature disciple, of somebody who's followed Jesus for a while. You should be making other disciples because, well, we'll get into that as well, but you want to be disciples that make disciples that make disciples, and that's a cycle that keeps going. Secondly, spreading the kingdom of heaven. Jesus talks about this quite a bit. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God does spread. It is growing. We know that. It's already happening. In fact, it's guaranteed, isn't it? It's going to continue happening. Now, the great thing is because that battle has already been won, because Jesus has died for us, risen again, is coming again, because that is like nailed on, um, we can slightly chill out in knowing that we don't have to earn our favor with God. We don't have to make him like us. He already does. He loves us. We don't have to earn forgiveness. It's a gift. It's grace. It comes as a free gift to you. So you don't have to earn any of that stuff. So just to be really clear from the start, and I've given you analogies of football and cricket and games that are won and lost. Faith is not won and lost. You are not going to Uh, end up today thinking, oh, I'm losing at at life. I'm losing at the the game of being a Christian. That's just nonsense, isn't it? Um, Probably a better analogy uh, from sport, a better way to put it is, uh, you asked about Netflix recommendations. I'm in Amazon Prime at the moment, and I'm thinking Pep Guardiola and the Manchester City team and the documentary called All or Nothing um, if you haven't seen that, it's brilliant. At least subscribe to the free uh, month and just watch it all and then unsubscribe. Anyway, so uh, in that, they're discussing Manchester City's last season in which they won the Premier League. And it's really interesting as to how Pep Guardiola leads his team really good. Uh, and, but anyway, they win it. I hope that's not a spoiler alert because that has already happened. That ship has already sailed. That was last season. Anyway, they win, and they win with five games to spare. And at that stage, Pep gets his team together, and he says, congratulations. I won't do the accent. I I will be tempted, but I won't do it. (laughs) Anyway, he says, you've got five games to go. You have won. You are the Premier League champions for this year. You are the winners. Well done. Most teams at this stage, with five games to go, uh, would just chill out and ride out the end of the season and not so hard uh, for the remaining five games. So he says, let's not do that. Let's get 100 points, which no one's ever done. Let's go for it. And win every game left. I think that's the situation we're in uh, as believers in Jesus, in that the, the league is won. You don't need to earn anything. There's nothing you can do. You've, you're already winners in that sense. But we do have a choice of how we live in that context we can accept the grace of god which is a free gift available to us and we can kind of not do much if we want to or we can push into more discipleship and the more we do that the more we discover what it means to be a disciple and the more we want to do it and make those difficult choices to follow him more but that's a choice okay so i hope that makes sense Right, let's have a look at why we are going to make disciples to start with. I think this is a a good thing. Um, And we're measuring this stuff because unless we measure what matters, what, what we measure will become what matters. So let me say that again, unless we measure what matters, what we measure will become what matters to us. In most churches, we don't decide, in most Christians, most disciples don't think about what really matters to them and they don't measure that stuff. So then the stuff that's easy to measure is what becomes what matters to them. So for you, maybe, it could be, the only thing that's easy to measure is whether you've read your Bible this week. So that's the only thing that you could easily measure, so then, and you didn't really manage it, so you felt bad. Because it was the only thing that could measure. Or perhaps it was attendance at a church. Most churches uh, measure bums on seats and who gives what? because uh, it just measures itself. You can see how many people in this room. Well, you could count it, and we could work out who, what's the sum total of what gives people, people give to church. So we could measure that. The Americans call that butts and bucks. Um, and I, I think we should call it pounds and posteriors. Um, <laughs> but, but either way, those are things that sort of measure themselves, and they're fine to measure. They're, they are good metrics, but they don't necessarily tell you everything you want to know about. So I'd suggest that the purposes of a a disciple are making disciples. So I reckon that is true because uh, when Jesus calls his disciples in Matthew 4, 19, he says, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. So he gets his disciples, and there's two directions, isn't there? He says, come to me and follow me, and I will send you out to fish for other people. So it's two directional. Jesus says, follow me me is not just about coming to me. It's not just about following Jesus the whole time. He also sends them. And that's not just when he goes up into heaven again. He does that while he's on earth. He sends them out in groups. Right at the end, before he does go, Matthew 28:19. therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So he says, go and make disciples. And I guess I think if we're not making disciples, then what are we doing? We're just having a religious club, aren't we? Which, to be totally honest, sounds rubbish. There'd be better clubs to be part of than a religious club. But that's not what we're part of. We're part of an amazing discipleship movement that is changing the face of the earth, which is gradually transforming humanity more into the likeness that God created it to be that is worth being part of. But the way that that happens is, as we go out to make disciples, the definition of a disciple is one who makes other disciples. So the whole thing cycles. Okay, secondly, I think we need to be spreading the kingdom of heaven. Let's see why I think that. Matthew 6, 9 to 13, the disciples say, how should we pray? Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So he says right at the start to them of how they should pray, Your kingdom come, God, here on earth as it is in heaven. So bringing his kingdom to this earth is how we should pray, and that's what would focus our, our energy, our uh, activity. Matthew 13, 44, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he had and bought that field. So, um, He knows it's of something of worth, this kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is something that we need to go after, that we know it's really valuable, that we would give everything to see more of it. In Matthew 10, in that bit where I was just mentioning earlier, where uh, Jesus sends the disciples out, he says, as you go, uh, and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let people know in the towns and villages, it's close, it's nearly here, it's coming, it's it's at hand. In other words, it's not here yet, but it nearly is. And so therefore, it's moving, it's spreading, it's coming nearer to you. Matthew 13, 31, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard uh, that a man took and sowed in his field. Two things that are important about a grain of mustard. Firstly, it's pretty small. So, we hear about that earlier on uh, in, in uh, the Gospels, that it's like faith, isn't it? You only need a tiny one, like a mustard seed, and it'll grow into something that's big. But another really important thing about a mustard seed when you plant it is it's not like a normal plant. Like, you know, when you plant a carrot? <laughs> well, maybe you don't plant carrots. When you plant carrots, you put it in the ground and it grows, and then you just pull it up, and then you've got your carrot. That's how it's grown. It's gone from one thing into another thing. That's not how mustard works. Mustard seeds, when you put the seed in the ground, send roots, runners, and shoots out underneath the ground that go in all sorts of directions. And it does put a little shoot up, so you could pick that plant. But if you did pick that plant, it it wouldn't be the end of the mustard seed (laughs) because its runners would have gone out underneath the ground and would pop up in other places and it's also almost impossible to get rid of a mustard plant once you've planted it which is why Jesus says it's a bit like a grain of mustard that a man sows in his field because as he does it it goes under the surface you can't always see it but then it pops up so so it is with the kingdom of heaven it's always spreading and Jesus is saying this is what it needs to be like in our lives as well as the kingdom of heaven is in us it it gets everywhere It's really difficult. Sometimes you don't see it, and then you do see it. But we know that his uh, kingdom is also spreading. We know it is happening anyway, in spite of us. We know that one day, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's going to happen. It might happen on our watch or not. No, but it is going to happen. We also know, we we read about this at Christmas, don't we, in Isaiah 9, of the increase of his government, talking about Jesus, a prophecy about Jesus' life. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice, with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It is going to happen. But we get to be written into the script, which is incredible, because God chooses to do that with us. So his kingdom is increasing. But Jesus also says, when we are worrying about the stuff in this life, in Matthew 6, 28 to 33, uh, what we really need to focus our attention on. But you can hear different tones of voice when you read this passage. I think, how are we doing on this? Uh, Hold it higher. Hold it like. More like that. Okay. Like. Okay. So you can read different tones of voice when you read Jesus. And I would say there's kindness in his tone when he's saying to not worry. I mention that because those of you, um, I feel a bit old here because I'm 38. Um, Not everyone is 38 or younger here, but I feel a bit on the older end of the spectrum. And I just want to say to you, if you are younger than 38... Well, I'll say it to everyone anyway. Um, you're doing really well. Being around at the moment is not easy. It's not easy to be a Christian, and it's not easy to just do life and do it really well. So you're doing well. I think there's a kindness in Jesus' tone when he's talking about fear. And as we were singing earlier in worshiping, I was sensing that about uh, what the Spirit was saying in the room, and, and the, the, something around the, the fear is wracked this generation. It's gripped it. There are so many different types of fear, and yet there is a kindness in Jesus' tone when he's talking about fear, recognizing that people are always afraid, but we are surrounded by God even though we feel surrounded by other stuff. So he says, "'And why do you worry about clothes?' Now, I don't worry about that much about my clothes. But anyway, I realize there is a concern about, about what we wear in the sense of having enough stuff. See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass grass of the field, which is here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. So don't hear judgment in that bit, right? He's like, oh, you have little faith. I wish you had more faith. Don't worry, saying, what should we eat? What should we drink? What should we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. Like, he gets it. He does know you need that. That stuff, he's not surprised. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So we seek these things. Seek, these, seek first his kingdom. We seek because the kingdom is something that needs to be pursued, hunted, gone after, focused on. It doesn't just happen. Because God isn't a king that invades. He doesn't just invade and rush in. He comes when he's welcomed. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. First, seek first above all other priorities. You've got to seek it first. He recognizes there is other stuff like food and money and clothes and that that do get our attention. But seek first his kingdom. Seek first his It's actually about God, which is a great relief, isn't it? It's his kingdom. It's something he's doing. The zeal of the Lord is going to do it. God is on a mission. So in a sense, the pressure is off in terms of us having to earn it. But it is also his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom. It's a realm. We are actually citizens of a different place, which puts Brexit in a good light. (laughs) Um, We have different values. We're also children, children. In this kingdom. We're not groveling subjects like sometimes it can sound like we are. We're not. We're trusted members of his royal court. We're heirs, co-heirs in his kingdom. Jesus says you're like sons and daughters. That's how God sees you. He even says you don't have to pay tax to the temple because you're like sons of the king. You don't have to pay tax. But he says pay anyway. So you don't annoy anyone. Um, so how do we know if we are seeking first his kingdom? How do we measure what matters so that what we measure ends up really being what matters to us? Let's get back to that scoreboard idea. I reckon the church has missed the mark with its measurables. It's, we have done at G2. And I would imagine most of us who are disciples have measured it uh, uh, wrong as well, or we've not measured it, we've missed it, we've not looked at the right stuff. I reckon most Christians, if totally honest, I think most Christians think the idea is to be basically nice and display some of the fruits of the Spirit and just try and generally be virtuous. I don't know, maybe that's not true. But what are our stats for knowing how we are actually doing? I'd suggest if we are celebrating, if we are disciples that are making disciples and spreading the kingdom, we would have people in our church that would hit these three C's. We'd be having people who are celebrating, connecting, and contributing. Celebrating because, yeah, I think probably if people are coming to a Sunday celebration, being part of that, and midweek as well, that's great, isn't it? Uh, so, partly it's to do with that. If you're wanting to measure, are we as a church, have we got m- mature disciples? Are, are we growing? Are we spreading the kingdom? Are we making disciples? You'd probably hope people would turn up on a Sunday. So, that's one measurable. But I think also, are we, are we in our own lives? Are we celebrating? How are we celebrating being part of this amazing God story which he's written us into? Are we, are we living our lives with an attitude of celebration or mourning? or or worry, or concern. Um, I think probably we want to be connecting to other people inside our church. If If this is a healthy church, you'd hope that people were connecting with one another in the church, but also you'd hope people were connecting outside of the church with people who don't yet know how good Jesus is, how good this news is. So you'd hope that too. I also think contributing so, yes, financially. So, that's like the bums and butts or whatever the Americans talk about. Oh, yeah, bucks. Not bums and butts. That doesn't make any sense at all. Um, yes, that, but also to people. How are we contributing to other people? How are we as a church building one another up? And there are so many ways that we can do this. Um, Hannah and I, Hannah's my wife, and um, and we love inputting into other people, and we do so intentionally because this it happens to be something which we are aware of, and there's tons that we're not <laughs> aware of in our own discipleship. But in terms of this particular thing, we have definitely clocked this, and we try to meet up with people who are usually but not always younger than us and encourage them in how they're doing with their discipleship, uh, in their faith life, and we want to cheer them on. We just think that's really important. We do it because we had people do that for us. We went to church in Loughborough when we both went to uni. Um, and people, in fact, my first week, a, a guy who was, uh, my fir- I was fresh here first week at uni, and a guy came over and said, how are you doing? You, um, how are you finding Loughborough? And we got to know each other, he invited me to a small group, went along, never looked back. He then said, probably a month after that, do you fancy meeting up? Once a week, hopefully I can encourage you in what you're doing in your discipleship. So we did, and I've done that for the people ever since, but it was done to me first. Um, we pray for those people as well, so we have a list of 54 people that we have done that for over the years. Um, but I know lots of people who've done that for uh, way more people than that, so that's not a bragging thing. I'm just saying I can tell you the number because I measure it, because I, want, I think that's really important in my own life. Um, but not everyone has time to meet up with other people for coffee. Looking around the room, some of you do have that time in your diary. But not everyone does, and not everyone is inclined to do that anyway. Uh, I have somebody uh, every time I, I work for Fusion, and um, so we work with students, and I write every other month I write to people who support me. And there's a guy who is, supports me through massive encouragement, who's called Derek, Derek Spicer. He was my youth leader when I was 11, and he writes like it's an email, but it's a letter. You know when you get an email from somebody that's like in their 80s, and it's a proper letter. I mean, you might as well have put the address at the top. Anyway, so it's amazing encouragement every time, saying how well he thinks I'm doing, some suggestions, some things I could read into more. And just basically massively cheering me on. I get one of those every time I send an email to him, which I think I'm sending out en masse. He probably thinks I've written just to him. (laughs) Um, And uh, another great example uh, is Dalton Phillips is somebody who used to be in our church, and he's now in Ireland. He and his wife, Penny, they're big encouragers of people. Um, And uh, so every time Hannah, uh, my wife, every time she preaches, um, it's on the podcast. Dalton, even though he's in Ireland, he listens to it still. And every time uh, she preaches, he emails her and me and says how well he thinks she preached and encourages her about all the different things she said and how it encouraged him. Um, She thought he did that for everybody who preached at G2 until I said, oh, no, I've never had anything like that from him. Um, He's encouraged me in lots of other ways. But he encouraged her specifically like that. So how could you, how could we, contribute to what g2 is as a community how could you as a disciple of jesus spread the kingdom by inputting and investing and building up the church in many different ways but also you've got to be giving, haven't you otherwise the whole thing doesn't work but that's not what the point of this is so our purpose is to make disciples to spread the kingdom of heaven so what's your scoreboard remembering that we are in the Pep Guardiola zone of the game is already won, the pressure is kind of off, but we can now have a lot of fun by spreading God's kingdom and making other disciples and inviting them into this rich story. Freely you have received, so freely give. So you may have seen on the pieces of paper down at your, at your feet, um, there's a Venn diagram Um, Now, I don't like complicated diagrams. Um, This just about hits my level of complication. This is what I would suggest one useful metric. It's not the be-all and end-all. It's just a useful tool to get you thinking about how you spend your time and, and how you're doing with your discipleship. If you fill this in... You could do that in a moment, but I would also encourage you to take it away and give it a bit more time. There are going to be people in your life that are good for you, and there are also going to be people in your life that basically, on the whole, you are good for. So you might not want to write this next to your... Ma- in fact, somebody, somebody after the 345 service at Burnham, when I spoke there earlier on this afternoon, just after I'd finished, came up and showed me their diagram, which had my name in people... Who they are good for, um, and just said that's that's all I can think of. I think I'm good for you, but so you might so so fill that in. But what this always highlights when people do this is it highlights that usually there's a bit of a mixture. We've got to we've got to bear in mind that there's always a bit of give and take in every friendship. But you might find that you have a lot of people that you are good for. And you're actually a little bit under-looked after. And so you might, as a mature disciple, need to decide to go and get a bit more input. Because if you're going to be a disciple that makes disciples, you've got to get some input from somewhere. Otherwise, you're going to have nothing to give. Or you might discover, hang on a second, I've got loads of people that are really good for me. But I don't really have anyone where I'm basically good for them, where I'm just giving out. Well, what am I doing? I might want to grow up a bit and start inputting into other people. Or you might find that you've just got a mixture. Anyway, fill in the diagram later on and find out. Um, Okay, why don't I give you one or two minutes to discuss that with the person next to you. Have a little think about that diagram, what you're thinking about it. Tell them which bit they fit into it. Make it awkward. And um, then the guys will wrap up.
2: Uh, I felt God wanted me to share uh, something about an everyday kind of love. Uh, I've been reading in the book of Daniel and maybe you've read in the Bible about Daniel in the lion's den. And he was put in the lion's den because he chose to let people see he was worshiping God three times a day. Uh, And he'd probably been doing that for 70 years while living in a strange country Uh, in exile, they'd given him a new name. Um, He wasn't, you know, in Jerusalem, the Holy City was just in a foreign land and um, God had impressed on him right from being a young man uh, that this is what he needed to do and so morning, noon and night he used to open his windows and pray towards Jerusalem and that's just a picture of us opening our hearts and looking to God and that's how you get that everyday kind of love and I felt that God's wanting us to do have, have that everyday kind of love and look to him whatever the circumstances I think for
3: a lot of us in the room saying my Jesus is really scary um, he calls you his sons and daughters and yet for some reason we feel afraid to own that he's our Jesus, he's our God. Um, I think also, um, with what we said before, with opening up your blinds and showing the world that this is your Jesus, that holds power and that shows that that this is your daily life, this is the life that you choose to live. Um, So that's what each of us need to own. We need to say, this is my Jesus. It feels sometimes really intimate to say, this is my thing and this is my person, this is my God. But that's what we need to do to commit our lives to him. so, Lord Jesus, I pray that, that each of us would, would declare that, um, that we would understand your power and your love and your grace and your mercy for each of us, um, that we wouldn't be afraid of the intimacy of saying that you are ours um, and knowing that we are yours, God. Um, so we ask for boldness to say that, and we ask for not being afraid um, for others to see that either. In your holy name, Amen.